Welcome to the Inspirations Podcast, sponsored by Quebec's only newspaper, devoted exclusively to the news of the special needs community. Tune in regularly to hear uplifting success stories, learn about resources, and gain timely advice in the area of special needs, featuring experts in various fields. Here's your host, your host Mark Bergman. We are joined by world-renowned special education expert, motivational speaker, and author, Rick Lavoie, who's in Montreal for a seminar presented by the Montreal Center for Learning Disabilities. Delighted to be with you. Am I right to say, Rick, that it's becoming, especially in 2019, more and more difficult to be a parent these days? It it is. I I did a parent meeting in Detroit a little while ago, and half of the room, several hundred people, half of the room were fathers. And I said, could you imagine your dad, and we were growing up, saying, to his friends, they can't go bowling tonight. I'm going to a meeting on parenting. I yeah. mean, it was things were more natural then. And yeah, it's a tremendous challenge between uh, the troubles that kids can get into. The, uh, of course, the internet, the social media has changed everything. Yeah, it. Uh, and this isn't just me talking. Uh, Dr. Spock, who raised most of us um, in the last generation, said that being a parent in the 21st century was going to be far more difficult than the 20th. Your mission to educate parents and teachers about uh, learning disabilities. What are some of the biggest challenges that parents face today in 2019? Well, I think when I, I do a workshop for parents of children who struggle, children with special needs, learning disabilities, or ADHD, or whatever, and the name of the workshop is On the Waterbed, especially each child at home and in the family, because I draw the analogy that a family of five is like five people lying side by side on a waterbed. Whenever one person moves, everyone feels a ripple. And that's the way it is in a family. If one member of the family is having trouble, dad's having trouble at work, mom's having trouble at work, one of the kids is struggling at school, if anybody's moving on that family water, everyone feels it. And I think the parents are beginning to become aware that uh, more and more that this impacts on it impacts on the cousins. It impacts on on the uh, certainly on the siblings, on the grandparents, and the relationships between all those people. It's not necessarily a negative uh, impact that it has, but it does have an impact. Um, and unfortunately, I've seen some families handle it better than others. Mm. But uh, the parent focuses so much on the child uh, who's struggling. Many times, they lose sight of the fact that the siblings are also struggling as a result, and it causes tremendous uh, conflict between the parents. Um, communication is very, very difficult in a special needs family. The statistics from the states are that uh, about 49% of American marriages end in divorce now, which is tragic in itself. But when you look at families of kids with uh, severe disabilities, it goes up to about over 70%. That 70% of families who have a child with a severe disability will have either a divorce or a long-term separation at some time during their marriage. If you had to narrow it down to one thing, parent needs to deal with uh, with a child with learning disabilities? They need to be willing to be an advocate. Uh, they need to be willing uh, to be that squeaky wheel. Uh, it it's, shouldn't be that way, frankly. The laws say very clearly that it is, it, it's a school's job to educate the parent and to say, this is what your child needs. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen that way most of the time. Most of the time, it's uh, uh, I find parents will often say, I know more about my child's struggles than the teachers do. Um, well, it's your child, so, mm. so that's okay with me, to tell you the truth. I'm, but, I'm glad you mentioned the schools, because what about ed- educators? Different way to approach uh, special needs children uh, from the point of educators than parents? Yeah, it, it teaches, I think, the great misconception about those of us in special ed is we're very patient. Um, it's got nothing to do with patience. It's really got to do with uh, special education is an art and a science. It's more than just liking kids. That's the art of 
part of it, enjoying the company of children is the art part of it. But now in the 21st century, there's a science part of it too. We know an awful lot about the way these kids functions, uh, function, the way their brain functions, the differences functional and, and uh, uh, structural in the brain. And so teachers really need to be aware not only of the care and feeding of the child, if you will, but also understanding a little bit more about the science of it. And sometimes teachers aren't all too eager to learn that. It's much easier to sort of blame the victim and put the uh, put the blame and the, the responsibility on the parents and on the child. Rick, talk to me about uh, positive versus negative feedback. Well, we all know what that is. Uh, I don't believe in strict behaviorism. I think those folks had their six had their uh, fifteen minutes in the seventies, and we know a lot more about the way kids function now. But everybody understands positive versus negative feedback. Positive feedback is reinforcement, praise. Uh, negative feedback as punishment or taking something away. Most parents and teachers understand that. What they don't understand is the kid's response to positive and negative feedback. And uh, that basically is positive feedback changes behavior. Negative feedback only stops behavior. If you punish Johnny for throwing rocks at Billy's house, he will no longer throw rocks at Billy's house. He'll throw logs at Billy's house and those rocks in somebody else's house. When you punish a kid, all you do is stop that specific behavior. You don't do anything to change the behavior. But when you give positive reinforcement to kids and positive feedback, that's an agent of change. So I think if there's one looming problem, it's that we just punish kids too much. Yeah, and parents need to understand that because it's so much easier, unfortunately, as a parent to say no and give negative sure. feedback. So I, sure. I think it's incumbent on parents to understand mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the, the value of, of, of positive feedback. Right? Yeah, and, and to walk in the shoes of the child and understand what a child's going through. And that's probably the hardest thing to do, right? Well, exactly. Can... The child comes home with a terrible report card. Well, you're disappointed, you're upset, uh, you're angry. But guess what? The child is also disappointed, upset, and angry. Uh, the slogan of my business card is that uh, kids need love most when they deserve it least. You know, when the kid is at his absolute worst is when you need to be at your absolute best. And it's a, it's a tough thing for parents. It's not easy. Well, it's all about viewing situations and problems from the perspective of children. Exactly. Looking at the, I say to, to teachers, you're a grade one, you're a kindergarten teacher. The day before school starts, you've got a classroom all decorated the way you want it the day before the kids arrive. Get down on your knees and walk around that classroom on your knees. See what it's going to look like from the kid's perspective. You know, is a pencil sharpener low enough that everyone could sharpen their own pencil? Well, I was going to ask yeah, you, are, yeah, are there any tricks yeah. or exercises that parents can do to view things yeah, from the perspective well, of kids? I did a video about 110 years ago now called Fat City, which actually takes a group of people and puts them in a position. Much of it is on YouTube. Um, but actually puts, them in, puts adults, uh, parents and professionals, in the position of having a learning disability. And uh, as a result of that experience, it can really change the way you the way you view that kid. It, it uh, we did it on a shoestring. We never thought it would it would amount to anything. But uh, I can't don't go through a day that I don't hear from somebody who said it really did change the way they looked at their kid. Uh, Rick Lavoy is here. He's a world-renowned special education expert, motivational speaker, author, and he's here uh, for a seminar presented by the Montreal Center for Learning Disabilities. We'll talk more about them in a couple of seconds. Rick, talk to me about good positive social relationships in childhood and how that has changed over the years. Yeah, it has. It's more and more difficult uh, to because of the internet. So what does that mean, first of all? What do good positive social relationships mean? Well, it means the ability to interact with others, the ability to be supportive of others. Many times kids believe that uh, if you're my friend, you've got to do what I want to do. You need to, uh, to please me, but I don't realize that I have to reciprocate. Uh, I have to also take care of you a little bit. Um, we find that there's, in one of my books, there's a 32-page chapter 
about how to have a, a, a play date for these kids. Um, you know, if you're a parent, a play date, you call a mother, drop the kid off, pick them up three hours, it's a play date. That's what we do. These kids, you have to plan it like the invasion of Normandy in order to, to pull it off because um, the kids with struggle with, with positive social interaction don't understand the concept of a, of a play date. They believe, I get bullied at school every day, so my home is my castle. So mm. when I have a guest over, he's got to do what I want to do. He's got to play the games I want to play. But of course, the reality in any guest-host relationship is just the opposite of that. Sure. You're supposed to please the guest. And it's those kinds of social things that we've finally come to the realization that kids who have disabilities in the area of learning, why wouldn't we think they'd also have difficulty in the area of learning social skills? Sure. They don't learn math the way everybody else does. Why would we think they'd learn social skills? And it's just the ability to interact. When you say social skills, people think of manners, you know, which fork to use. That's not social skills. Mm -hmm. Social skills are the ability to interact with another person, to have a person view you as an attractive social partner. So what advice would you give to parents? Uh, you know, Johnny calls uh, Teddy for a play date. Yeah. Not unless it's well planned. I mean, it, 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 it would be, like I said, there's several steps you can take to make sure it goes well. Um, the, the, the child is struggling, child with special needs. If he's got special toys that he's very sensitive about getting broken, put those away. Don't make that an issue. Get the siblings out of the house because if the kid, friend comes over to play with the child who's struggling socially and the brothers and sisters are there, the visitor is going to find them much more attractive social partners right, and all right, of a sudden right. the host is left out. So there's a number of, of things you can do, but so much of it is just having a sensitivity toward it and realizing that saying to the kid, go out and don't go out in the, in, at where everybody's playing and don't come back to you've got a friend. Hmm. It doesn't work that way. It really needs to be a step-by-step -step process. Uh, I, I love your description of fairness. Can you expand yeah. on that a bit? Well, yeah, that's the horn that I've been blowing for about 50 years now and that it's basically kids are convinced that in order to be fair, you've got to treat everybody the same. If I were to go walk in, down the street in Montreal and find an eight-year-old kid and say, what does fairness mean? He would say fairness means everyone gets the same. Kids have convinced us as parents and teachers that that's what fairness means, when actually that's not what fairness means at all. Fairness means everyone gets what he or she needs. Uh, and because kids' needs are different, what they get is going to be different. The amount of time and attention and resources you give to this kid is going to be different based on his needs. Is that the same? No. Is it fair? Yes. Mm -hmm. And what's happened is a generation of kids have taught a generation of parents that that's what it means to be fair. So Christmas Eve, you look under the tree, Johnny's got nine gifts, Billy's got nine gifts, Sally's only got eight gifts. You jump in the car, you drive to Walmart, you buy a can of spray deodorant or pineapple or something and put it under the tree because it all needs to be the same. It doesn't need to all be the same. In fact, a teacher, if a teacher or parent says, I'm a very fair teacher, I'm a very fair parent, I treat everyone exactly the same, well, they're the definition of an unfair teacher or parent because they're not taking into consideration the individual needs of the kids. And how can schools apply that in the schoolyard? It's got to be a cultural thing. I recommend to schools, the first day of school, the principal gets up and explains what fairness is. Every teacher writes in the board, this is what fairness is. So the first time a kid says, how come he got three pages of homework and we get four? That's not fair. You can just point to it and say, no, it's not the same, but it's fair. And not only does that make the school run better, and you, you, uh, you, you give a better education to the kids, it's also a tremendous uh, life lesson for kids to learn. Um, some, as much as special needs families struggle, one of the things we're finding is that the siblings, the brothers and sisters of the special needs kids, invariably become really solid adults.
because they've seen the human condition. They've seen someone they love have to work twice as hard to get half as far. So there's a positive, a positive aspect to it too. But it needs to be cultural. You need to, the people in charge need to say loud and clear, I am not going to treat everybody the same. I'm going to give everyone what he or she needs. And it's funny, I was going to ask about siblings next. How can siblings play a major role? Well, first of all, siblings need to be, parents need to be very sensitive to what they're going through. Um, you know, for mom and dad to have a special needs kid, everybody says, oh, aren't you wonderful? Take care of that special needs kid. But for the brother or sister who has to take the school bus to school every day with that kid, where people make fun of them or people make butter jokes, it's tough being the sibling of a special needs kid. It really is. So there needs to be a good deal of sensitivity. But you also can teach him to, or, her, or her to play a role in, in their brother and sister development. The problem happens and the waterbed gets rocking and rolling when you find yourself saying to the 12 year old we're going out for the evening keep an eye on your 15 year old brother Mm -hmm. Um, because that's when things begin to get a little bit crazy uh, where you begin to get totally out of the birth order thing and find yourself having the younger child keep an eye on the older child that's when things get crazy it's it isn't easy it's a waterbed that's constantly rocking and rolling and what makes it even worse, again, is it often creates conflict within the family, conflict within the couple, because it's very well established. The parents go through a series of stages when they get the news about a learning problem and things like anger and guilt and all those stages. And what happens very often, more often than not, is that mom is at one stage and dad is at another. Mm. And so for the first time in their marriage, they can't talk. They can't communicate because mom is feeling isolated. Nobody understands this kid except me. A dad is feeling flight. He wants to go find somebody to save this kid. And so right away, you've got a conflict. Um, I keep that list under my under my blotter at work. And when a couple comes in, I take it out. And there's the list of emotions. Where are we tonight? Before we get started, how are you feeling tonight? That's amazing. And nobody's on the same plane as, no. you, as you start very, this conversation with the waterbed. Exactly. Very seldom in the same plane. And the new research indicates that the kid is going through the stages. So dad's feeling angry. Mom's feeling guilty, and the kid's feeling disappointed, and they sit down and talk about the report card. I mean, I'll sell tickets to that. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, I mean it's, it, it's, it creates tremendous difficulty with communication. That's why sometimes you need to bring somebody in from the outside, mm-hmm. somebody that can walk the family through it. Um, you're facing a crisis. If the kid had his appendix, problems appendix, you call a doctor. Yeah. And sometimes families need to say, we just need to bring somebody in a professional who understands family dynamics to walk us through this. Very insightful. A lot of uh, great information. Uh, Last words for people who are listening, uh, families that are going through uh, exactly what we're talking about to kids with disabilities. Well, ironically, it might many of you feel better for a while, but what we're finding is that the real world is kinder to kids who struggle than the world of school is. That in the world of school, kids are expected to to do everything well. Math, science, history, social studies. They're expected to do it all well the valedictorian of the class of the kid who gets all A's. So we celebrate in school, we celebrate the generalist, the kid who can do all things mm-hmm. all things well. The real world has no place for a generalist. They're fun to watch on Jeopardy, but they, you know, there's really no place in the world for a generalist. The real world wants a specialist. Most kids with learning problems are specialists. Once they get out of school where they're expected to be a generalist and they can find some area where they function well, just get out of their way. And as a result, you hear, uh, about a lot of very successful people who have tremendous learning problems, had tremendous trouble in school, where they were expected to be a generalist. They get into the real world where they can pick their lane and specialize and, like I said, just get out of their way. How long has this been a passion of yours for? 
Well, you talk to most people in special ed, there was generally somebody in their family, and I had a cousin when I was a kid that uh, nobody seemed to be able to deal with him except me, and I liked it, and I was good at it, and I said, well, let's do this. <laughs> so since then, yeah. are, are we in a better place in 2019? In some ways. I, I'd like to be more encouraging about it, but uh, in some ways, uh, we're still many times special ed kind of gets the, the crumbs of the swept off, swept off the regular ed uh, table. Um, uh, we made certainly made progress, and scientifically we've made a ton of progress. Um, has that all filtered down to the schools and families the way we'd like? No, not as much as we'd like. That's why we go out every once in a while and talk well, about it. Well, that's it. Let's hope uh, seminars like yours and podcasts like these uh, help uh, help us put, a, yeah. put us in well, a better place. Uh, one of the reasons I love coming up here is I always find Canadian audiences that hate stereotypes of any, any kind, even positive ones, but they're always just so enthusiastic and so welcoming, so I'm delighted to be here. Special thanks to the Montreal Center for Learning Disabilities and Organization, providing much-needed information, supports, and programs to help navigate the range of learning challenges. And you can check them out online at ldmontreal.ca.